Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 74, First-Time Leader, How to Succeed and Inspire Your New Team, featuring George Bratt. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Did you know that 40% of new leaders fail in the first 18 months? Wow. How can you avoid failing as a new leader? And how can you learn from other leaders' mistakes rather than making so many of your own? To help our listeners who are new leaders or who would like to take their leadership to the next level, our guest today is George Bratt, author of several books, including his latest book coming out in February, First Time Leader, Foundational Tools for Inspiring and Enabling Your New Team. George was once a new leader himself, rising through leadership and executive roles at Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, and J.D. Powers. Today, he is principal of CEO Connection and managing director of the executive onboarding group Prime Genesis. George Bratt, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Jesse, I'm thrilled to be here. George, so in your book, you mentioned the statistic 40% of new leaders fail in their first 18 months. Can you break that statistic down for us and, and explain why, why is that? Uh, absolutely. The- so the number is, it keeps coming back, and there are all these studies, and, and it comes back as somewhere between 35 and 50%, but the one that I focus on is Hydrogen Struggles. Uh, the ex- uh, executive search firm did a study of 20,000 of their internal searches and discovered that 8,000 or 40% of those people were either fired, forced out, or quit within 18 months. So that's the number we're using as the benchmark for the rest of the world. And the answer to the the part about why, I mean, I've written all these books on the subject, but if I were going to give you the headlines to start with, people fail for one of three reasons. Either poor fit, they don't deliver what was expected, or they cannot adjust to surprises down the road. So it's really those three areas, fit, delivery, and adjustment. You know, it's interesting. So you mentioned that that was based on 20,000 internal searches, which I would, have, I would expect that these are people who are placed, basically were promoted from within. And you would expect that those people would actually be more successful than the average external placement, wouldn't you? Yeah, maybe. So they called it internal. It What I meant was it was 20,000 of the people they had placed in other companies. Oh, okay. Okay. Of their... So it was not their internal people. But um, yes, the people that are promoted from within or laterally transferred from within, they do better. They they have a a higher chance of success than do people coming from the outside because a lot of the fit issues go away. They, They still have the delivery issue and they still can't, they still have a hard time adjusting to surprises, but people generally have a better idea of what they're getting into. Wow. Now, you also say in your book that the number one problem first-time leaders face is failing to understand that leading requires entirely different strengths than does doing or managing. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. You talk about engaging leaders, obviously. And there's an argument that I would make, that I do make, 
that engagement is too important to be just a blunt measure. It's not good enough to say, yeah, people are engaged or not engaged. And I would suggest there are three levels of engagement. One is, well, you start with the people that are disengaged or engaged with the wrong things. Obviously, that's a problem. The first level of engagement is compliance. These are the people that will do what you tell them to do. And that's great. You know, they, they show up, they're doing no harm, and it's fine. The next level up is people that are contributing. They're going beyond what you tell them to do. They're trying to, to leverage their strengths and ways to contribute to others, and that's a great thing. If you have an organization of everybody trying to contribute, that's wonderful. The top level is, is commitment. These are people that are committed to the cause. And these are the people that are going to drive you crazy because they're not going to do what you tell them to do. They're going to do what needs to get done. And if you're telling them to do the wrong thing, they're going to countermand your orders or do something different. And, and obviously, if you have an organization of people committed, you deliver just amazing results. So with that as a background, there, there's a huge difference between managing and leading. Managing is about coordinating, organizing, telling. This yields compliance at best. If you tell somebody what to do, uh, all you'll do is, you know, at best they'll do what you do. So this is this is in the realm of the th- of thinking and logic. Leading, on the other hand, is about inspiring and enabling and co-creating. And if you do that, that yields contribution and commitment. You know, using some of the things you've written about, this is about influence and feelings. So managing is logical and thinking, and leading is about feelings and emotions, and it's what gets you to the higher level. That is very clear and insightful. And you mentioned this term, co-create. In fact, uh, in your book, you say great leaders go one step further than managers because they co-create a purpose-driven future with their followers. I was excited to read that in your book because we've said that before on the show using even those same words, co-create and purpose-driven, which at the time I was actually concerned that those might sound lofty and unrealistic. What do you mean by, for example, co-create? Well, I took it from uh, Brian Smith. He wrote about it in uh, the Fifth Discipline Field Book, and he suggested there are these five different ways to influence somebody, as you were. Um, Tell sell, test, consult, and co-create. Tell us the traffic policeman on the corner saying, go left, there's no choice. Traffic policeman just wants you to comply, doesn't want you to think about this, just do it. Sell is trying to persuade somebody about something. In some ways, you know, this whole podcast is persuading people about the importance of leadership. Um, Testing is throwing out an idea. You know, we, we talked about whether we should do this by Skype or phone or whatever. Now, I didn't care. However you wanted to do it, we're just throwing out the idea. Consult is, I, I've got an idea, and I've got, I've got the starting point of it, but I really want you, to, I want you to help me build on it. And co-create is blank page, let's build it together. So that's where it comes from. That's fantastic. I hadn't heard that before. That, that is extremely helpful. Yeah, Brian Smith in Fifth Discipline... Uh, Fieldbook. It's interesting. So you and I both come from a consulting background, or at least spend a lot of our, our time these days in consulting. So we're naturally going to be operating at that fourth level consultative. But 
I will say my longest, deepest relationships with clients are certainly tend to operate at that co-create level. So that, that, that I can totally get that, that the power of that. Really? I think your, your, your organization says its mission is to partner. That's the essence of co-creating. That's right. Hmm. You've also mentioned that, uh, Many people mistakenly assume that you need charisma to be an effective leader and that either you have it or, or you don't. And that's a false assumption. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. But all they do is go back and listen to about half your podcast to, <laughs> to figure out how you feel about that. I think leading is all about inspiring, enabling others to do their absolute best together to realize a meaningful and rewarding shared purpose, similar to what you've been talking about. and and. You know, first thing that comes out is, guess what? Different people get inspired in different ways. Therefore, they respond to different forms of influences, different messages, different support points, different stories. So different situations then require different types of enablement. Therefore, different leaders inspire and enable in different ways. If you think about community or team leaders, these are the ones that pull people together with what they what they say, what they do, what they believe. Guess what? Charisma helps there. It's one of the attributes that that can get people to people follow people they like. They 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 you know people will follow a charismatic leader for a time. Of course, in the end, leadership's really not about the leader. It's actually not even about the team. It's about the cause. It's about the purpose, and so. People will commit to a brave leader's cause over time. So the brave leader could be a thought leader who leads with, with his or her intellectual horsepower. You know, people will, if the, if the cause is an idea, they'll go after that. Um, a creative leader could lead with his or her ability to connect seemingly unconnectable things. I'm not in any way suggesting that char- charisma is a bad thing. I'm just saying that it's not the only way to lead. You mentioned the brave leader, and which is a reference to the B-R-A-V-E leadership success framework that your book is built around. Can you explain what that means? Well, yeah, absolutely. We actually, the original proposal to Wiley on this book was to call it brave leadership. And Wiley came back and said, well, we, we love the idea, but the world doesn't need another leadership book. You got to focus it on something. Let's focus on first-time leaders. Um, so brave is is the central concept in this book. And guess what? I've just written an entire book about it. But if I give you the headlines, and then we can dig into it, uh, brave has a double meaning. One is courageous because you have to be courageous, and it is an acronym for B behaviors: R relationships, attitude, values, and the environment. And we suggest that people can do really great things if they attack this from the outside in. So you start with the environment, which is about where to play. This is about the context, the business environment, the organizational history, the recent results, and we got some good stories about that. So choice question one is where to play. Then comes values, which is what matters and why. This is about the purpose that you were talking about, the mission, the vision, the values. Next is attitude, which answer, which is about the question of how to win. And this is where you think about your, your strategy and your posture and your culture and pulling them together so you figure out how to win. The R is relationships, 
because as, as you know, and as you've been preaching to everybody, this is the heart of leadership. If you cannot connect with others, you cannot lead them. And no, you don't have to connect with just charisma. You can connect through ideas or creativity or whatever, but you have to connect. So relationships are all about how to connect. Um, it's about getting your organization and communication and things like that. But all this is absolute theoretical gibberish. Environment, <laughs> values, attitudes, and relationships. They're theoretical gibberish until it leads to behaviors, which is about the impact. And, and as you know, as you know, I mean, this is, you know, somebody, I forget who it was, said, hey, let's talk about big little outcomes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's going to be the one big thing you're trying to get to, what matters. And then it's not the 30 behaviors. It's the three little outcomes that you're trying to drive to have an impact. So brave is um, behaviors, relationships, attitudes, values, and the environment, outside in, where to play, what matters, how to win, and how to connect, and what impact. So it's the acronym BRAVE, but then you actually implement it in reverse, which is counterintuitive. I I wouldn't necessarily have have guessed that, but it it makes pretty good sense. You do, like like most people uh, advising leaders, you, you... are encouraging people to figure your values out, uh, what's important to you, what's important to your organization, what's important to the people on your team. But um, can you talk a little bit more about, about before you do that, you need to get more clear about the environment? So the, the story that I love is um, Tony Say and Tournament Poker. Tony Say founded Zappos, which is the, the online shoe retailer. And Tony used to be, probably still is a fan of Tournament Poker. And when he went to tournament poker matches, you, you've seen these on TV or whatever, where there's all these tables and all these people, and, and it eventually gets whittled down. And what Tony figured out from tournament poker is that one of the most important choices, and maybe the most important choice he makes, is which table to sit at. Because if you're out in Las Vegas, and there you sit down at a table with eight other guys who have been out all night having the best time, and they're there just for fun, guess what? Your chances of winning are far greater than if you sit down at a table with eight former world champions who are hell-bent on regaining their glory. So Tony applied that as he was thinking about what business to start or what new business to start. And he looked at the retail shoe industry and said, this is just awful. None of these people know what they're doing. I choose to play there because I can win. Hmm. Yeah, that's simple. Let's talk about the, I think the one that's a bit tricky is attitude. And you mentioned strategy and posture. Can you tell us more about that? And especially, what do you mean by posture? Yeah, people trip on this one. And, and maybe maybe it's a leap too far because um, it's a little complex. But when we talk about how to win, and we talk about aligning uh, strategy, posture, and, and culture. And and strategy, boy, we could go on forever about that, but it's essentially about creating and allocating resources in the right way at the right time over time. So it's about resources. But then organizations have a posture. Think proactive versus reactive or proactive versus responsive. Well, it turns out that not every organization should be proactive. People like to think that proactive is right, just like people like to think that being a charismatic leader is right. And guess what? Sometimes it is right. If you are Apple 
and your strategy is to out innovate everybody, you better be proactive. But I used to work for the Coca-Cola company. And we were fast followers. We didn't really invent anything. We waited for other people to come up with good beverage ideas. And then we stole their ideas. We either stole them by buying the company or by saying, wow, there's a neat idea in Guatemala. Let's lay, let them have Guatemala and we'll go take their idea and duplicate it and run it around the rest of the world. So we had a fast follow posture. Uh, the Red Cross has a be prepared posture where they have resources set and then they go implement it when there's a disaster. The Ritz-Carlton has a reactive posture where they're, if you go to any bellboy and say, listen, the TV in my room doesn't work, that bellboy owns that problem and has to get it solved. And they react and they respond. But the bellboy doesn't run around the hotel proactively checking all the TVs. Their posture is responsive. Yeah, that's, that is a very good point. It, it, it reminds me also of how different cultures really are they fit into different strategies and i think of some of the some of the the leadership communication counsel that we give to clients where we're helping them try to evaluate okay there's different ways that your organizational communication can be maybe it's personal maybe it's impersonal maybe it's autonomous or maybe it's very centralized um, and one isn't necessarily better. It just needs to fit your strategy. And there's, for example, good reasons why a bank might be less personal and more centralized in some of their leadership communication than a, uh, a warmer type, uh, more open type environment. You could argue that it depends on the bank and what their strategy is. But you can't always just say that one type of culture is going to be the best for every single organization. And for, nor for every part of every organization. The culture you want in, an op, in a hospital operating room is very different than the culture you want in the, in the area where they're diagnosing diseases. When a surgeon says number three scalpel, somebody should put the number three scalpel in their hands immediately. When a doctor says, oh, I think you've got mono, wano, 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 you want some other doctor going, you're out of your mind. I think it's this. Let's do these tests. Same organization, different subtasks, different subcultures. So if the new leader understands the, the brave leadership success framework, and of course there's lots in the book that we haven't had time to get into yet, you, basically there, there still is this moment when they're moving into that role that they need to just take charge of the team, right? Oh, yeah. And, and your book goes into that too. What are, what are some of the things that the, the new leader needs to do in, that, in those moments? So again, at, at the headline level, because... I can go into excruciating depth on this. Three ideas that will help absolutely any new leader going into any new situation. Number one, get a head start. Number two, manage the message. And number three, build the team. Turns out, preparation breeds confidence. And if you, if you prepare in advance, if you have a 100-day action plan, you're better off. Turns out there are ways to actually cheat and jumpstart things, most importantly, the relationships. If you call out or visit people even before you start, you can get a jumpstart in relationships. And, and, and there's a great story there, depending upon your time, that I can go into. Yeah, let's hear that. So let's imagine that I'm joining your organization, an organization that you're a member of. And I'm uh, 
coming in to be your boss, which is, trust me, your worst nightmare. Except we're going to make this nightmare worse in that you wanted the job, but they're hiring me in from the outside. And uh, I show up day one and I do whatever I do. And day two, I go to a management meeting because now I'm management and you're not. I'm important. You're not. And day three, I come by your, your office or desk or wherever it is you sit. And I say, listen, you know, I've heard great things about you and I really want to get to know you. Let's have lunch. How are you feeling at that point? Pretty nervous. Yeah, a little nervous. Yeah, nervous is good. I, I, I told, I asked a lady in Peru about this, how she was feeling. She said, I hate you. So, so I, I like nervous better than <laughs> hate you. Now, contrast that, if you would, with the day after I'm announced, three weeks before I start, I call you up and I say, listen, Jesse, I've, I've just heard fantastic things about you. I know you were the lead internal candidate for, for this job. It just seems like it is in your best interest and my best interest and the organization's best interest for us to get off on the right foot together. It is so important to me, to you, to us, that I'm not prepared to wait to day one to get to know you. I will meet you anywhere in the world, anytime you want over the next three weeks. Let's get together and get to know each other before I start. Now, how do you feel? Well, that makes a big difference. It definitely feels warmer and I feel valued. Exactly. And you may still hate me. And in this case, you probably will still hate me. But at least you're going to give me the benefit of the doubt. And at least we're going to start. I mean, you know I value you because my actions value you. I'm coming to you. And so that's that's head start. Second one is message. And I know you won't understand this, but but you know, this this <laughs> turns out this communication stuff is important. And, uh, you know, you, you got to have your one core idea. You want to have your three key messages. You got to have your supporting elements and you got to weave it together. weave all the stories together into a narrative because as a new leader, you are going to get positioned in people's minds and either they're going to draw their conclusions based on little bits of information, firsthand, secondhand, thirdhand, um, and they will position you or you can choose how you want to be positioned, and then you can start communicating your message with everything you do and everything you say and making sure it's what you believe. So you got to get your message right. This is all before day one. And then the third piece is, you know, we're talking about leadership. And the only thing that a new leader can do all by himself or herself is fail. And guess what? 40% of them do that. But if a leader wants to succeed, it's all about inspiring and enabling the team. So you better focus on the team. And uh, and our books have some practical things that you can do to get a head start, some practical things to do to, to help craft your message, a lot of which you already know, and then some practical things you can do over your first 100 days to jumpstart the team, and in particular, jumpstart the strategic process, the operating process, and the organizational process. George, you mentioned your other, you mentioned your books, and this, this newest book, First Time Leader, takes a different approach. Can you tell us how, how does this book differ from your other books, especially the New Leaders 100-Day Action Plan? So the headline is the, the, the New Leaders 100-Day Action Plan focuses on people onboarding into new roles to lead big teams. It's very, it's very specific. First Time Leader uh, talks about people moving into to lead smaller teams or lead any team. The, the genesis of uh, the new book is uh, Jillian Davis called me up and said, listen, George, I've been using your book for years, and I'm trying to help some people, some entrepreneurs, 
And, and I really want to find a way to customize the tools in the New Leaders 100-Day Action Plan to make them more appropriate for entrepreneurs. And I said, well, Jillian, that's, we could do that. But maybe a better idea is to start from scratch. And why don't you and I write a new book geared towards <laughs> entrepreneurs or first-time leaders? And then we'll have the right tools for them instead of trying to force something. And so that was the genesis of this book. And so the, the New Leaders Under Action Plan is for people leading big teams, generally, generally more senior leaders. Uh, the first-time leader is for people either going to their first-time leadership role or leading a startup team because guess what? It turns out it's the same ideas. And then you have another book that focuses on onboarding, and that's for the manager of a new, new hire? Exactly, because it turns out that uh, we reduced the failure rate. So we started with this 40% failure rate, and you know, that's what got me mad. And through our consulting and through the work we've done and through the New Leaders Center to Action Plan, we reduced that from 40% down to below 10%, which is really cool. People like that. So it's a big difference. You know, I tell people there's 60% of people that are going to do fine without us. There are 10% or so that are going to be in trouble no matter what. But there's 30% of people that, that get helped. But part of what was screwing up the 10% was their bosses. And their bosses weren't getting people aligned around what was important, weren't acquiring people in the right way, weren't uh, accommodating their new hires, weren't helping them assimilate into the team, and weren't helping to accelerate their success. And so we wrote onboarding for their bosses because it's, it's just too painful to have all these failures of people going to new leadership roles, and I'm going to fix it one way or another. So onboarding is for the boss of somebody who is about to come on board. And the New Leaders 100-Day Action Plan is primarily for experienced leaders stepping into a new role. And then this brand new book coming out in February, First Time Leader, Foundational Tools for Inspiring and Enabling Your New Team, is for that very first time leader. George, where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, there's, there's tons on the Prime Genesis website. So it's primegenesis.com. Basically, if you Google me, all that stuff comes up. If you Google George Brad, it all comes up. But once you go to the Prime Genesis website, I think we've done it well enough. People tell us we've done it well enough that you can get routed into one of the books or some of the ideas or the tools or Forbes articles. That's a good place to start. Terrific. So primegenesis.com. George Brat, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thrilled to have been here. It was, uh, it was good fun, Jesse. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Again, the book is First Time Leader, and we'll provide the information and links that George mentioned on our show notes for this episode. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 74 as in episode 74. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. 
Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. 